Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. You can learn about our pursuit to reach the lost in the jungles of the Amazon, or in the cities of India, or among the refugees of Europe, and much, much more by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Now to God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we see that the gift of tongues exercised in the early church was expressed out of occasions of enraptured and ecstatic praise. The person speaking in tongues used a language he didn't know. He did not know what he was saying. He needed an interpreter to make it plain. Why did God give this gift at the outset to the early church? I have a suggestion. Listen in. This gift seems to pour out into hearts as they're filled with awe and ecstasy and wonder before God. In other words, this is a language and a gift that's particularly expressed when an individual is exulting and enraptured in the manifest presence of God descending upon their lives. And as it's happening to them, they just burst forth in this ecstatic praise. So very interesting. They don't even know exactly what they're saying. All they know is they're releasing this praise and this ecstasy and wonder before God. And Paul even says it. They don't know what they're saying. So he says, you pray with your tongue and my spirit prays, but my understanding is not benefited by it. I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't know exactly why God does this. Why would God, for example, have allowed the early church when they came out to have begun speaking in all these other tongues? We know something of it. It's a sign to those people that were gathered around, the unbelievers. But why does God put these tongues upon men, these other languages? Well, you know, the Bible says that there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue, every language confess. It says there's coming a day when people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue will give praise to God and will worship the Lamb who is upon the throne. We read about that in the book of Revelation. It seems to me, to some extent, that God opens up this gift because God is eager for that day. He's eager for the day when men of every tribe and every tongue will give Him praise, and He wants to hear the notes and the words of that praise and that language even now. So He opens their lips up to give Him that praise. In a sense, there is a foreshadowing or an expression, a prophetic expression of things to come in this gift as it was given to the early church. But the point here is it was ecstatic and they didn't totally understand it. They didn't exactly know what they were saying. Here's another thing you can understand about this gift. This gift of joy, this bursting forth of foreign languages was used of God as a sign to unbelievers that God was doing a great work. But it wasn't used of God so that they could understand that great work. (laughs) It was used of God as a sign that God is doing something wonderful and special here. Here are these Galileans that are speaking all of these different languages, and yet it wasn't used of God so they could understand what the work was. And so on Acts chapter 2, the people said, what is going on here? Explain these things to us. And they heard what was taking place, but they didn't understand it. It was a sign. Something significant is happening here, but we don't know what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let's read again verses 21 and 22. It says this, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all they will not hear me, says the Lord, 
Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay, it's a sign that God is doing something wonderful and something great, but what does it also say? They will not hear me. It's not the basis upon which they will understand the work. It just says God is doing something great. Something strange is happening here that we should pay attention to. Here's another thing we can say about this gift. It was primarily for the private encouragement and blessing of the individual Christian. It wasn't meant as a means to edify and communicate truth to other Christians or to unbelievers. That's why Paul discourages its use. That's why Paul says, if you're going to do it, do it at home. Unless you've got somebody along with you and in tandem they can interpret everything, don't do it. Because this is meant for the encouragement. He says a person speaks it to his own edification. In this case, he's not even edifying his brain or his knowledge, but he's just lifting up his spirit. He's just edifying or building up his spirit. Here's another thing that we'll go at. The only other thing I think I want to mention here is that the Corinthians were enamored with the mysterious. They were a part of a culture and they lived in a pagan religion that was very much into the ecstasies of their religious experiences. They would work themselves up in those ecstasies. They actually believed that the person who was the most spiritual was the person who could lose themselves into ecstatic experiences. And so their priests and their prophetesses and their individuals that they thought to be unique sages were individuals who would go into trances and they would speak in odd and bizarre language and words that they couldn't understand. And to them, that was a sign of some superior spirituality. They would think of those individuals, in a sense, within that context as being holy people, and they wanted to excel in their faith, and so they thought, well, this is it. This is where we're going to find this exaltation. Paul comes along to these individuals who are taking tongues and making it the signal mark as they gathered together of their spirituality. And by the way, they were all getting together, and they were just all speaking at once, all giving themselves up to this ecstatic language. It would seem if all of them are doing it, and Paul says not all of them had it, well, then maybe not all of them were really expressing a true gift. And Paul says, look, I'm going to put some rules out for you. The first one is this. You need to understand this is for your private edification and not for public worship. But if you're going to continue to use it within the public worship, let only two or three at the most do it. It's almost like he's saying one of you should do it. But if any more than that, two or three at the most. If you're to do it, you're to speak one at a time, not all together. One at a time, clearly. And the next thing is you're to make sure that it's in a language that can be interpreted, or you're to make sure that you yourself can interpret it. And if not, if you can't do those things, do it privately and not within the gathering of the church. I think I've accurately shared with you, to the best of my ability, my understanding of what the Bible teaches us in this short period of time on tongues. Let's draw some principles now. Because Paul is really talking about the worship of the church. What's to take place when we gather together? We're going to have to go into the other gift that's being talked about in this passage next week, which is the gift of prophecy. I'll mention it a little bit to you this morning. But here are some principles for you. The first principle is this. Humility and otherness. Let's lump them together. Humility and otherness. You can't truly be a humble person if you're still thinking about yourself. Humility and otherness. Paul begins just the right way 
Before he's got into it, he's talked about surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. He's talked to coming together in a unity where you don't think of yourself as better than others, where you share your gifts in common with one another. Then he says, but on top of that, you must put the gifts aside and not think of these as the most important thing, but oh, to know love, to know the love of Christ shed through your life. And now he moves into this topic that he addresses this problem in the church, but he begins it this way, pursue love, pursue love. That love which comes from Christ letting his own life and being course through you. That love that is not envious. That love that doesn't jump into the competition and is not competitive. That doesn't exalt itself or parade itself. It is not puffed up and that mourns over the sins that people commit and rejoices when people come to the knowledge of the truth. Let that be the thing that is above everything else pursued as you carry out your public worship. And so when he comes to chapter 14... The whole tenor of the chapter is don't do things in public worship that are not for the edification of everyone who's gathered there and not the conduit through which you express this love to one another. That's the point. In verse 12 he says, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, okay, it's all right. You're zealous to be thought of as a spiritual individual. That's what he's really saying. Let every pursuit after spirituality be for the edification of the church. Let that be the reason why you seek to excel. It's okay to excel, he says here. That's good. Seek to excel. It's okay to want to be spiritual and have spiritual gifts. That's all right. Be zealous. Be jealous for those things. But only do it for this reason, that the members of the body of Christ may be edified through your life. Right? And so he's bringing us back into ourselves. In humility and otherness, the very way that we're to live among one. The problem with the church in Corinth was that their tongues were not being used in this way. They were not acts of humility. They were displays of spiritual prowess. They weren't spoken to bless others, but they were coming out of self-indulgent people who were wanting to express and give expression to their own carnal enthusiasm. And they were wrapping around what they called worship. But this was not something that God wanted or should be in the church. Here's another principle about worship. Not only humility and otherness, but truth communicated. A key element in all worship within the body of Christ is not us getting together and just experiencing and expressing our enthusiasm. It's not working ourselves up to an emotional state. It's truth communicated. Communicated for the edification of the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, and truth communicated for the salvation of the unbeliever. At least six times, Paul in this chapter uses the word edify or edification, and five times he uses another word or phrase to express the very same thought. The edification of the believer, that means growing them up, helping them to be built up. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that we're to be built up in our most precious faith until we're brought into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And he says this is why the gifts were given. In order for us to be brought into deeper and deeper conformity as individuals and as a body to be like Christ and to give expression to his life. That means it's good that you learn to exercise your gifts. And by the way, if gifts are given for the ministry of the body of Christ, you're going to have a hard time exercising if you're not in the body of Christ and you're not in fellowship with one another, but they're all given to be a complement to bring us as a body to grow up to become more of a Christ-like body, and they're all to be given so that as individuals we might find more and more of the fullness of Christ taking shape in our lives. And these take place as truth is expressed. The main purpose behind all the gifts is to be the basis through which truth is made known and expressed in our lives. Understand something. When the believers are being edified... 
the unbeliever will find their way to salvation. It's interesting, he says, prophesying the declaration, which is basically the enunciation of God's truth under the gifting or empowering of the Holy Spirit. When an individual prophesies, he says, and when prophesying takes place in the church, it's for the believer. Our church, we don't have a series of messages, and every Sunday we don't preach a sermon to people who don't know the Lord Jesus. They are here, they come, they're among us. They're people who've heard about Him, but they've not had a genuine, deep relationship where they've surrendered their life to Him, where they've confessed their sins, where they've realized that He is offering them not religion, but a relationship where they'll live and abide with Him and transform them from the inside out. But we don't preach a message every Sunday, and we don't give an altar call to people asking to come forward and give their life to Christ. We deliver up truths to the body of Christ so that we can grow. And as we deliver up those words of edification and we gather around that word, well, those who come and listen in, well, they're transformed by those truths. It touches them and impacts them and changes them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 23 through 25 says this, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in one who is uninformed or an unbeliever, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, if all put forward the truth and the powering of the Spirit of God, and here, I don't think Paul is saying all of us are supposed to be prophesying. He's just lifting up the exaltation of this one gift above all other gifts. And an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in. He is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And I'll explain to you how that happens. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. When we give forward truth in the Spirit of God and we receive it, we receive truth in the Spirit of God and we speak these truths to one another and we receive them, God uses that to signal a note of conviction in the heart of the person who is yet to come and bow before that truth themselves. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.